This episode of the Marshall Focus podcast is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios. The studio will be opening in Hamilton in the next couple of weeks and is owned and operated by Chief Artist Brian Bell. So have a wee look on Instagram and on social media for Hold True Tattoo Studios. If you're at all interested in uh, getting some artwork done, uh, contact Brian directly. Brian is just a fantastic uh, artist and tattooist and we highly recommend him. So we're super excited and super proud to have a Hold True Tattoo Studios as our new sponsor for the podcast. How's that? There you go, John. How are you? All right? I am an absolute luddite, so thank you very much for your patience waiting there. Um, no, not at all. Not at all, buddy. Do you know that? that all, see, see, when you said that, when we were getting the, getting the episode planned, just I've made wee notes here about things that I wanted to talk to you about. And like, obviously, I said <laughs> Star Wars and stuff is one. I just can't uh, go over how much of a, a, a sci fi geek you are. And you were like, listen, I, I can't work a computer. So, it, it, it's strange because my job, um, I'm, I'm a, I, I do social media uh, for a public body. Um, so, I mean, I'm on a computer from like eight in the morning to half four in the afternoon. So, I mean, you would think I would know what I'm doing, but really, really don't. I'm a child of the 70s, absolutely. Listen, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, I, when I started doing this, uh, the, the whole idea was, do you know, I didn't want it to be sort of super produced and, uh, yeah. do you know, just polished. I just wanted it to be two people chatting and recording it and I'll put it out and I hope sort of people enjoy it. So I mean, there's been... well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say at least to this one they're going to see a really, really raw version of me um, trying to use um, this um, Zoom technology. You see me trying to use Teams and work. I'm exactly the same. It's uh, somebody, somebody put it to me that said my work and said uh, this is the fourth industrial revolution and I think they're probably right. The amount of changes that's going to yeah. that, 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 that that's going to come. Uh, what have you noticed? Uh, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I said I'm working from home, and it looks as like if I'm going to be working from home for the foreseeable future. Um, and you know, but when we, this all first started kicking off, we were still dialing and you know, like to do team meetings and things like that. Yep. But now we're using Teams, you no, know, um, instead. So it means that I'm getting to you know, like see and speak to my boss in a one to one. And if anybody's needing any of my help, um, then they can come um, direct to me as well. Um, and we've, but it's, the, the technology, is, it's, it's one of these things. I mean, you'll know yourself, you know, with the teaching and whatnot. It's became an invaluable tool for instructors like yourself who aren't able to get into their dojos or dojangs or whatever yeah. um, to actually get hands-on training. So it's not perfect, but it's, it's been a brilliant stopgap for the current situation. It's actually something that... Uh... It's actually something that I had, to say I had resisted is probably too strong a word, but I was a wee bit sort of wary of, and, and see now, even when we do get back to teaching sort of face-to-face, it's, it's something that I would see even for one-to-ones or just students maybe wanting some time to go over a particular pattern or, or technique. It's, it's invaluable. It re- I've really been impressed by it and, and what, it's, what it's allowed us to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my friends, um, Liam, Liam Gallagher, runs the St. Joe Club in Stewarton. 
Um, no, he's actually had instructors from their head dojo in or Hombi dojo in Japan actually on you no know, like taking classes. Yep. Um, no, for his students here in the west of Scotland, which I think is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> you know, uh, we had uh, we had Zara Fithian teaching last night. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you know Vic, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I was in the EMA squad with Vic back in the day. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a, listen, you know better than most people how small a world it is, but we've had to say we're sort of super thrilled with Zara on teaching last night. Uh, we've had uh, two instructors for the states teaching. And it's just this opportunity that all these people from like, Scotland, the west of Scotland, just w wouldn't normally have. Uh, uh -huh. It's been brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, you know what I've just realised? I've just realised, obviously, we always put a wee write-up on, on the episode, but <laughs> for anybody that, that, that sort of doesn't know you, let, let me tell everybody a wee bit. Uh, John, John Clark is <laughs> somewhat... Uh, listen, we criticise Facebook and social media all the time. Uh, but the, one of the good things is the opportunity to, to meet people that you, you didn't know before and, and just through mutual interests. And, and John is one of these people who I've sort of uh, friended over the years on, on Facebook. I think we've bumped into each other twice at Comic Cons, maybe even just once. Twice, uh, it was one at East Kilbride and one at another one, yeah. Was it, right. So, um, but again, just through conversation and private messages and stuff, you, you get friendly with people and with mutual interests. So, uh, John's had a really interesting past, both both in sort of physical martial arts and competition, etc., but also as a martial arts writer, uh, all the way up to, to to covering UFC events for for sort of Scottish press. So I thought he'd be really a, an interesting guest to, to get on to the podcast. He's also a huge uh, sci-fi, Marvel comics, Star Wars. I, I always think that I'm a bit of a geek with that thing, and then I look at your page. <laughs> I look at your page and realise I'm absolutely I'm I'm not not at all. But uh, there's something about martial artists, and I, I don't know. I always find that we seem to be into that stuff. I don't. Do, do you find I, that? I, I do. And I mean, I've got a theory that we all want to be Captain America, or we all want to be Luke Skywalker. That's it. Um, I mean, I remember being, a, no, not a wee kid, because I mean, I started training when I was seven, which was the same year that Star Wars came out in 77. Um, but no, like, my dad was a big comic book geek as well. Um, and it was my dad that really got me into comics. And I saw Captain America and Bucky Barnes, no, like the old, old, no, like silvery, early silver age, no, late golden age comics. And I thought, I want to be able to do that. And <laughs> when my mum and when my mum and dad dragged me along to that first karate lesson and I saw what um, Neil, who was my first instructor, was doing, I was like, oh, yeah. And here I am, like, 43 years later in some degree or another. Yeah. Right, okay, that's probably a good place to start. Uh, people that have listened to the, the episode so far, they'll already have been fed up with me saying this, but I, I genuinely don't like, I don't write any questions down. Uh, I make a wee note of some subjects. Uh, I'll tell you what I've got on your page at the moment, and, and I like them just to, to develop, so I don't like to say, when did you do this, and blah, 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 but yeah. I brought uh, your martial arts history, I brought uh, martial arts illustrated in the UFC, yeah. and uh, I wrote down Star Wars as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, pretty much, that, I mean, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. I mean, no, without making it sound like, um, no, like one of these interviews that I used to do when I was writing for MEI and that, um, 
no, between my, my history goes back to like the, the mid seventies. Um, I'm an only child. Um, I was getting bullied at school, and my mum and dad thought it'd be a great idea uh, for me to get involved. So we had a family friend um, who had just passed his second dan in Shotokan Karate, Neil McNeil of all names, right. and um, that was down at Rutherglen Borough Hall. Um, and I've pretty much glued since then, um, and I pretty much followed Neil till he gave up teaching um, for professional uh, his main professional life, um, and then his uh, assistant took over Brian. Um, and then we moved up to Castlemilk where I lived, which made it even better. And um, it's just been an absolute, you no, know, it's been a journey. What, 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 what styles, uh, well, you've said that, and we all sort of class it as, as, as a journey. I think that's one of the yeah. things that people that have done it or, or are currently doing martial arts, we understand that term. But tell us, what was your journey then? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a... It's a long time going round, but I mean, I start style-wise, my base was Shotokan, and then my instructor, um, when Brian took over the class, the club started moving. He started dabbling in um, Sankakai with Al Doran, uh, who's a well-known um, instructor in Scot the west of Scotland. Um, and then from time training with Al, he moved over more into the um, Shotorio style of karate. Right. Um, but it was like the Japanese version, what they call Shokokai. Um, and... It, it, that was that became my base uh, for all my karate that I've ever done throughout the years. Um, but throughout the years, I've switched classes. I've had other instructors. I've had other influences. And although I would always class myself as a shitorio um, uh, karateka, my journey again, shall we say, has taken me on a completely different tangent. Um, so that I now know. I wouldn't necessarily class myself as it's an oxymoron. It's, it's, it's like a contradiction. My background is Shotorio, my base is Shotorio, but I wouldn't necessarily class myself as Shotorio because of all my other influences, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, totally. But that's one of the things that, that's, that's interesting about somebody like yourself that's, you know, I, I nearly used the word dabble, but again, that's maybe too flippant as well. Uh, I've, well, I had, uh, had Stephen Gale on the podcast in the last episode. Yeah. Uh, like myself, again, he he's done sort of one or two different things as well. But it's it's really just been just been taekwondo that I've done. Uh, yeah. I mean, certainly th there's been seminar experiences, but other than that, not. So that's kind of I've I've only kind of been on that that one style or one path. So it's always interesting to talk to people like you that. I I think what happened with me was, I mean, I went from a single style group, which was Ken Shikan, which was like run by um, Kasano and Sakura Sensei and Terry Connell here in Scotland. That was like my original route up. And then when Brian left, um, there was another instructor that took over. It didn't see eye to eye, but luckily there was another Shotorio club close to where I lived, um, run by a guy called Martin Cameron. Now, Martin was an absolute godsend. He was the first really, really, truly open-minded martial artist I met. And so much so that he had been part of the um, SKU, uh, which is a Shukakai Karate Union under um, Kimura Sensei. Um, but when Roy Stanhope, who is a well-known um, no, in karate circles, set up the group called Yukasco, uh, which was the United Kingdom All-Style Karate Organization, Martin went over to Yukasco with Roy, mm -hmm. um, and being part of an all-style group, it just really, really, I mean, I was 15 at the time, but it just really, really opened my eyes up. 
And this is where I started realizing that, yeah, while I had a great love for Shitori and Shukakai Karate, um, my eyes were, you know, like looking at, um, best way I look, it, it was just getting drawn into all the other groups that were involved with Yukasco at that time. I mean, there was like other Japanese, traditional Japanese clubs, there were traditional Okinawan uh, clubs, there were even some Kung Fu clubs that were part of the, the group yeah. as well. And just getting to train with these folk, it just totally blew my mind. And then moving down to England when I was 19, you know, that just that that was just my 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 gateway to oh, I like this, I like that, I like this. Yeah. I I don't know whether it was a mentality thing, but when you when we 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 used to go quite often, uh, Richard Hopkins, who's who was in charge of Rumor, who still is in yeah, charge yeah. of Rumor. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, yeah, the deadly dicker, eh? We attended a lot of his tournaments down south. Uh, this is when the, the, the names will start flowing now. Uh, Clifton Finlay, who you know very well. Yeah. Alfie Lewis. Uh, the, uh, Lee Samson, who's Damien's dad. Uh, yep. oh, Richard Brown. All of these guys were, were, all of these guys were competing down south. And I don't, I don't know whether it was just a mentality thing, but it was as if that was a, a it obviously was a bigger place and it was, it was a, a bigger opportunity for these guys to develop. And did you, that's what, what I'm trying to ask is, did you find that, that you were moving from this little Scotland to bigger England type thing as far as martial arts? Very much so, yeah, because when we were in, when we were in Scotland, it was all... It, at that time, Wiko Karate, which was the pre-World Karate Federation time. So, I mean, all the tournaments you were going to, it was always the same people that you were seeing. It was always guys like Jerry Fleming, Jim Collins, you know, like all those types of folks. Yeah. Um, but then when I moved down to England, I was still doing Shitorio. Um, I was training with a guy called Terry Murthwaite, who was part of KJ Tomiyama's um, Kofokan group. Um, but then I met a guy called Mo Malik, who was doing Magendo, which is a kickboxing system created by Meiji Suzuki. Um, and I went in there, and when I saw what we now call semi-contact kickboxing or points kickboxing, we used to call it freestyle back in the day, my mind was like, boom, no. Um, I was getting to, you know, like, go to these tournaments, um, and that's where I met Clifton, funnily enough. But, you know, I was going to these tournaments, and I was getting to fight all these, I mean, I've always been a big guy, um, and... I was getting to fight all these big names. I was getting to fight your Chris Boys from Laugar. I was getting to fight your Pelly Reeds, um, Carl Spencer. It was it was a, just a great, great time to be a competitor. And as well as competing in the freestyle circuit, we were still competing in traditional tournaments as well, which was just nothing that happened. It didn't happen up here until Dave Baptiste really started it up. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, I always like to just put wee asterisks in or, or wee sort of pauses. Uh, we're, we're throwing names about here that hopefully if the, if the episode is shared enough and, 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 and people, again, you're, a, you're a, a couple of years older than I am. Uh, Just a couple. I, I would have been there as a kid or as a sort of teenager. Uh, yeah. And these sort of famous names like Pelly Reed, uh, like, as you mentioned, Clifton Finlay, we can sort of chat about that as well. Uh, I think it's the same as everything now. I think our school, we, we the, the, the way I teach, we, 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 we do, we attend certain tournaments, but it's, I don't know if it's, maybe we've, we've withdrawn a wee bit and our focus is somewhere else, or whether the scene just isn't as 
big or, or isn't as appealing as what it was when I was younger and coming through. And maybe these guys made it what it was. I, I don't know. I, I think that I think you're right. I mean, I mean, you don't get those type of personalities. And I hate to sound like the old guy here, but I mean, I mean, I've got anecdotes galore that you no know, coming out with, which are you no know, unless people really want me to bore them with them. But you know, I, when I'm a, when you've got guys like Peter Apara, the overdog, now the guy was nuts. No, he was brilliant. He was a genius, but he was nuts. I mean, there was a tournament in Wales I was at. I scored a punch on him, and I was maybe a wee bit more exuberant than I should have been, and I maybe celebrated the scoring of the point a wee bit more than I should have done. But when I went into it for the next, the, no, the next no part of the fight, yeah. the referee shouts had Jimmy to start because it was a traditional tournament um, down in Wales. Um, the guy comes in, scoops me up, and body slams me right smack bang on the mat, WWE style, and causes a riot between the Ucasco Scotland squad and the Liverpool Sport Karate squad. I mean, yeah. but that's just the way it was then. Covering tournaments over the last few years for Martial Arts Illustrated and other sources, you don't have characters like that anymore. No, and I think that that's what's... Yeah, the... My, I, I've got a lot of feelings about the modern tournament circuit for semi-contact and light continuous kickboxing. Um, I don't really think it's moved on that much. So I, 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 I don't know whether I'm just, I've just got, because I'm, I've hit my 50s now, whether I've got these rose-tinted no specs on that when I'm looking at things in the past, I can't see beyond that. I don't know, maybe. I, I think everybody has, everybody's a wee bit guilty of that with everything. Uh, eat. Okay, let, let, let's have a wee chat about that then, because again, the the the, the knowledge and experience uh, that you've got there is something that I definitely want to want to tap into. Uh, had this sort of a really interesting uh, karate martial arts career, we'll call it, uh, experiencing lots of different styles, lots of different events, lots of different tournaments. Uh, and again, we're probably more than likely to, to double back on that. But yeah. after that, you moved into uh, doing a lot of writing and a lot of coverage of the events that you were previously taking part in. Uh, yeah. Martial Arts Illustrated is, I think it went online and then it's went away completely now. Is that, am I right there? No, I've lost track. I've, I've kind of lost track, I believe so. Um, I believe that Bob and Paul and uh, so. Uh, and sold it off. Bob Sykes sold it off. Who was the original editor? Yeah. Um, the guy, the guy, and whatever happened after that point, I don't know because I'd stopped writing for Martial Arts Illustrated about, you know, a couple of about a year before that all happened. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Martial Arts Illustrated to anybody that's ever done martial arts in the UK. I mean, along with combat and fighters, it was probably the magazine. No, for a period of what almost since what 1986, 1985, yeah. 1986, or something like that. I mean, it was a real part of the institution. Um, I can't thank Bob enough for what he did for me in my writing career, and it opened a lot of doors up for me in other areas as well. See, that the it's like video killed the radio star. Uh, that a lot of the younger people that listen to this won't get this at all. Uh, but bef before the internet. Uh, you used to kind of, you would know when it was coming out and you would go to W.H. Smith, which would have been John Menzies at the time. Uh, yeah, that'd be right, yeah. And you would be like, desperate for the next issue uh, and whoever it would be would be on the cover of it. And then you would have tournament reports, you would have 
uh, people breaking patterns and catters down photo by photo. Uh, your interviews, you would have all of the, the adverts in it and you would often order some of the craziest stuff you've ever seen in your life. Uh, and that kind of, with that and in combat, as you say, uh, Taekwondo and Korean martial arts, uh, all those magazines that, that were out and and they're all gone now. They're all gone because we just put stuff on the web or we put it on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, there's, a, there's a romance that's not there any longer. As a writer, it really makes me sad. Um, I mean, I'm considering going down, not the podcasting route, but I've mentioned this to you before, but I'm considering going down the vlogging route just yeah. to chat with people to get you no know, anecdotes and things like that, you no, know, and have a good laugh about you no know, shared times and shared histories and such. Like, but there's a real art to writing about martial arts, and I, I, I tend, I, I tend to come across as a bit of a grammar and um, spelling snob at times. I realise that, but th- I don't think you come across that. Like I'm gonna, yeah, you are like that. <laughs> um, uh, but as I said, it's I don't, I, I never wanted editors to re-edit my work, uh-huh. so yeah. I always wanted to try and get it as best as possible and I think though, if you were to speak to Bob or speak to Neil who did the actual setup of the interview you know the, the articles in um, in the magazine Neil Molyneux I would think they would say that there was very very little re-editing that they had to do in my work but yeah I mean the, the, the losing the magazines was it's awful for want of a better term um the, like you said the anticipation you know like I'm reading something you just, it doesn't always come over in the digital age the way that it did in the written paper. Yeah, we one of the uh, 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 master Frank Murphy, who was uh, and is a fantastic Taekwondo practitioner, uh, tested me for third degree for third degree, and this was through in, in Paisley, uh, Sean McGoldrick's academy. Yeah, no, Sean and. Uh, Frank Murphy used to do a lot of writing for the magazines as well and had his articles and stuff and he wrote a he wrote a piece that was nothing to actually do with the grading but when we were standing doing uh, the, the Taekwondo oath at the beginning of the, yeah. the black belt test which used to be a thing and there was a picture of the <laughs> I'm laughing about this now but as a kid this was the best thing since sliced bread there was a picture of the back of my head <laughs> in my white dough box standing at this black belt grading and he used it in the article. Now, you kind of got, I don't remember whether I was just sort of flicking through the pages and WH Smith's or I got word that my picture was going to be in this article, but John, it was literally the back of my doorbox and the back yep. of my head. But the fact my picture was in Martial Arts Illustrated was like, it was huge. And it's, that, that romance and magic's not there any longer. Exactly, exactly. Um, Again, not wanting to sound like the middle-aged grump, but I think that uh, the digital age has killed off a lot of the romanticism around martial arts. Well, that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. Um, I mean, I know what I prefer. Um, granted, no, like, as I said, I'm a bit of a Luddite, but social media, as my job requires, no, I'm a, I'm a bit of a dab hand with that. But nothing nothing can replace that, That, that the, the, the printed magazines, I don't think. No, you, you're just not getting the same sort of passion if you like you know it's nobody knows what's happening unless you were actually there now yeah. whereas before 
know, I could read about like the the TUGB World Championships or the WKF World Championships or something like that, and I could actually imagine myself there, and it would push me to train harder so that I could be there. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. We the one of the martial artists that I know that you talk to sort of a lot on on his feeds and stuff is is Steve Rowe. Uh, yeah, who I've got an amazing level of respect for. I, I, I've only ever met, I've met Steve twice. Uh, I actually had a coffee with Steve and Zara once a good few years ago, and then uh, I was at uh, Anthony Pillage's school with him as yeah. well. Uh, Legend. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember getting one of his DVDs. Uh-huh. And, and again, it's you. I remember it was he was he was talking about uh, he was teaching the the wedge technique yeah. and intercepting the punches and and again you, I can't even watch the TV now. <laughs> this is going to make me sound like a total snob but Tracy my wife and I are, are exactly the same you see if you flick onto a channel that isn't HD now uh-huh. you think oh this is crap you can't even watch it because the pictures uh-huh. so bad yeah, yeah I remember getting this Steve Rowe DVD. I mean, even talking about Taekwondo, Grandmaster Cho, I've got all the DVDs, and it was the best thing you'd ever seen in your life. Uh, Now, YouTube, but even just Facebook, you can see all of these legends and just videos of this and videos of that. And and listen, that's brilliant because you've got so much access, I guess. But that that romance of these sort of legendary figures has gone. It's, it's It's a bit like oversaturation, if you like. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I remember again throwing names out here. I remember when I was living down in Peterborough, really, really well-known martial artist Joe Tierney yeah, came yeah. down to do a seminar because he had a group down there that was run by uh, Debbie Graham and Phil Prout. Um, and because uh, the Peterborough Shire group and Peterborough Freestyle, who I was training with with Clifton and whatnot, um, were, had quite a close relationship, and the Peterborough Magendo clubs had a close relationship, we get invited to go to this seminar. And, you know, I was getting to train with an absolute legend, knowing this is like 1990, 91. I'm getting 21, 20, 20, 21 years old. I'm getting to train with this absolute legend. Now, that was like a once in a blue moon sort of thing. Nowadays, you can put a video on and you'll see like guys like, you know, like videos, you no know, like train, you no know, like uh, various different, you no know, like well-known martial artists. And it's just like on tap now. Yeah. And again, that's brilliant. But it kind of takes away that bit of that romance. I think it was too. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to to Taekwondo. The, the last twice that Grandmaster Cho was over in Europe was 2000. I'm sure my dates are right here. 2000, 2009 and 2011. And there were seminars in Ireland and in Scotland. Now the one in Ireland was held at the National Basketball Arena, right? So we, mm-hmm. we would have had maybe Facebook was just sort of kicking off then. I'm not too sure, but uh, the National Basketball Arena is in the outskirts of Dublin. Yeah, I know. I've competed at it a couple of times. There was 600 people on the floor. Mm-hmm. 600 people. And he was up teaching on a, a raised stage. Uh, and it was Grandmaster Cho's coming over. Now, you could replace that by, as I say, I was talking to Stephen Gale about Grandmaster Park or anybody in the karate circles or kung fu circles or... Uh, any of the Gracies in Jiu-Jitsu or, or anybody, you would these events would be advertised and this, the kids wouldn't have seen them before and the, the anticipation was building, building, building. Yeah. 
and now they just have to type Steve Rowe into the YouTube or uh, Hoist Gracie into the YouTube or whatever. I'm saying the YouTube, God, that's making me sound so old. <laughs> but do you know what I'm trying to say? And it's, yeah. it's you, I don't think we'll ever have events like that ever again. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that the, ki- the, the, the kids and the adults that are out there just now, you know, they're very talented, they're very athletic, they're very aesthetic, um, and I'm never going to take that away from them. Uh, I, as I said, I'm just being a bit of an old fuddy-duddy. I was 50 this year, and as I said, the rose-tinted glasses went straight on back in January when I turned 50. You know, that, and I'm pretty sure that that's all that happened there. I've not... We see in class, a lot of people will, I, I do a thing in my classes uh, called black belt questions. Yeah. And what I'll do is I'll put maybe two or three of the black belts up at the front of the class. And it's, it's not about asking uh, questions such as, what does such and such pattern mean? Or, or, but just asking questions about experience as in, tell me about when you started training or how did you go over your teenage years without giving up or any of these things. And one of the questions that people always asks, ask, sorry, is about the past and what's the main differences and was it better or worse? Is it just rose-tinted glasses or? I think so. I mean, the, the training methods now are a hell of a lot better than they were back in the day. Um, I remember. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I remember when um, a well-known Japanese instructor came over to Scotland who will remain nameless, and um, it was we were like I was about eleven or twelve at the time, and he had us all lined up, and he pulled out this shinai, which is like a bamboo sword for kendo. Yeah. Yep. And he was and to test our as a kata called sanction, uh, which is like you know, it's very much tension and breathing, and it, it's an excellent kata. It's one of my favourites. Um, but to make sure that we had good, we, you know like we're focused and we're breathing properly, he's walking down the line and full pelt swinging a shinai into a 12-year-old's no stomach. Um, then there was other times, you know, you're lying, you, you might remember this, you might be you know, old enough to remember this, maybe not, but I remember lying on the floor um, as a kid, I'm probably between 10, 13 years old, and adults running across your stomach. I remember. <laughs> yeah, we, listen, we talked about that not that, not that long ago, uh, and then you would lie down, the person that ran over would lie down at the end, uh, the other person and, up and ran over. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, that's the one. It was mental. I mean, can you get jailed now if you try doing that in classes? I mean, so, I mean, that's one of the things that is better now um, is that the training methods are a lot more scientific. Um, I mean, back, as I, back, you know, like when I was training for competitions and whatnot, you were throwing techniques into, into thin air, full power, because, yeah. you no, know, that's the way it was done. I mean, it's hardly any wonder now that I've got arthritis in my shoulder, my knee and my hip, you know, yeah. because of this. Um, it's but as I said, as much as training methods have got better now, I think that because I mean, if you think about it this way, karate and taekwondo in the UK doesn't really go much further much further back than the 1950s or 1960s. Now I started training in 1977. I've got t-shirts in my drawer that are older than the type that time scale, you <laughs> yeah. know. So. Um, I'd like to think of myself as being not there right at the beginning, but you know, at the tail end of the beginning. Yep, yep. Um, but there was a lot of great training and a lot of you no know, good focus, if you like, on training that I don't feel is always here now from what I've seen. See, that, that's something that you're always 
or ne- not necessarily, I don't want to sort of pinpoint this and say you said this, but generally when there's chat that I see anyway uh, on sort of standards and the way that things have changed for the worse. And listen, most, see, this is one of the good things, and this is one of the reasons why I, I like you as much because it's what I think our, 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 uh, our beliefs are closer than probably what some of our banter on Facebook would probably suggest. But when we disagree, we disagree and and, and we can respect that and we can sort of move on with with the next chat type thing. Uh, I don't don't think there's enough of that nowadays, by the way. Uh, But one of the things that I do see you being passionate about is, and this is what I'm saying, I agree with this, that there's lots of things have changed in the martial arts uh, for the worst, and they're being accepted now just as, as well. The that's norm. the way that I, I pretty much just, just as, just as normal. And I, I hate. I was talking to this. I'm trying to think who I was talking to. This, so I can't even remember. But they then, when things like this happen and you challenge them, it's suggested to you that that, that you're the stupid one. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that, it's not right. In my no. opinion, it's not right. I mean, there's a prime example of that. There's a couple of groups that are really well known, um, and to put no to to find a shade on it, they're only in it. For, they're only in it for the money. Now, um, I've got no problems with people making a living. Most of my good friends, closest friends, are professional instructors, um, like the aforementioned Liam Gallagher and Scott McMillan from TGB, for example. Yep. So these guys are professional instructors, and they've got a really good standard. But there's these other clubs that are out there, and all they're doing is they don't care about they don't care about retention. Um, they're only about the next gimmick to make the money. And unfortunately, there's the, maybe the clubs that are not full-time, they're starting to see these groups that are only in it for the money um, and they start following their practices. And it's horrible. It really, really is horrible. And um, perhaps shouldn't be. I mean, perhaps I should keep my own counsel. But often when I see these things and they're put in a public forum on Facebook or YouTube, you can't help but go into them and say, what are you doing? No, it's... Is that, is that a mash? Is that... Is that I, I don't think it is. I think we have a problem with it because it's the martial arts we're talking about. But is that not just the same with everything nowadays? Probably. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a kind of like... No, I'm not going to use the cliche, but I mean, it is a whole fast food culture. No, yep. like just things in general. And people see themselves now as not students, but as consumers. And that's where it starts to fall down. There has to be, I, I fundamentally believe that there still has to be um, a teacher-student um, relationship. And yep. um, karate, we call that senpai kohai, senior, junior. Mm-hmm. It's not there in a lot of modern classes these days. It's I'm you, I'm a I'm a coach and you're my client. I'm I'm sorry I I, I don't get that I, I really really don't. Like I said, I've got no problem with people making money and I I mean I used to teach professionally back in the day. No, I've got, and I and I made no like well, didn't didn't make me a millionaire obviously. But I mean I made a pretty penny back in the day. So I, I'd be hypocritical for me to say people don't teach professionally. But there's got to be an ethical way of doing it. So what, what is the problem there? Is it that the standards drop because of that? I'll give you an example. One of the things that we've not done during the lockdown is offer any gradings or testings at all, right? I'm not going to test somebody over Zoom. Yeah. So I, I, I've said that. Uh, 
and again, I've had conversations with people who have said, yeah, we can do it. Some people have said, no, Kareem, I agree with you. There's absolutely no way we can do it. Uh, because I've got, a, I've got a standard that I expect from my students that yeah. they won't meet because the training, although we, we've been absolutely doing the best we can with an online format, it's not having me in the room with them. And there's yeah. no way I could teach them with that. The way that I, th I mean, I'm not going to de I'm not going to um, denigrate MD who does decide to do that, it, but at the same time, it's not something that I would do if I was still teaching. Um, the way I look at it is, and it's something I've said a lot, and you've probably seen seen me write this before. The etymology or the the origin of the word martial arts comes from the Latin root martialis, which means from Mars. Now, Mars was the Roman god of war and conflict. How in the name of the aforementioned gods can you test somebody for a martial art on a video without any form of, I don't know what your term is, committee sparring or no pressure testing? You can't just grade somebody on kata or patterns or basics. It, you wouldn't do it in a dojo. So why no do it over video link? And I know that people say that they've do it other ways round about it, or they'll do it as a precursor to a proper grading when the government finally allows um, people to go back into their classes again. But again, it all comes down to the marshal for me. Um, it's a, at the end of the day, no matter how we try and fluff it up, we're teaching a fighting art, or we're training a fighting art, uh, or we're studying a fighting art. No, it's not a dance. It's not a social club. You're learning how to punch, kick, choke, twist people, throw people, whatnot. That can only be done in a physical environment. Yes, you can train basics and keep yourself sharp, but you cannot train the full spectrum of the martial arts that way. Therefore, I don't believe you can grade somebody that way. We, that, this is one of the areas where I think when we talk about this, we'll, we'll, we'll eventually get back to the both of us probably being closer in agreement than, than what my next statement's going to suggest. But uh, we've, we, We've moved away from having just as much sparring in class. And one of the main reasons for that is, is that our, our, we, one of the things we, 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 we are really proud of is, and you mentioned this earlier on, is, is our retention. We've got students who are, we've got many students that started with us in their 30s and are now in their 50s. We've, all, we've actually got students that are in their 60s as well. Uh, we, yes, we spar, yes, we do pressure testing, yes, we work a lot on sort of physically holding and, and punching and grabbing, self-defense drills, et cetera, et cetera. But does what you're saying not exclude a big... And again, I don't always remember you describing yeah. me as your, your devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm being devil's advocate, John, but does that not exclude people? In not that at all. Way? Not at all. To give you an example. Uh, like I said, I'm 50 years old now. Um, I've got, you know, like really bad arthritis in my knee and my hip and my shoulders going the same way. Um, as you know, I had a real, quite a bad stroke about um, five years ago as well. Yeah. Now, my karate became my own karate. No, I wasn't doing it to please people. I'm as happy, you know, like being in my own back garden um, and running through, you know, like Okinawan Kata. That's my karate. That's what it's became for me. But on the flip side of that, I know what I do work. Um, Perhaps stupidly, in my early 20s, I, went, I got to the stage where I wanted to pressure test my karate. Yeah. Um, so I started working the doors in Glasgow. Uh -huh. 
big because big big mistake because the first time I worked the doors um, was in the cat house when it used to be down the Broomalaw. <laughs> now, for people that don't know, the cat house down the Broomalaw was the original biker metal and punk club in Glasgow. Now there was a very very famous metal band. The Roadies came in one night and it all kicked off. Um, I was decking people with Yakuza reverse punches in tournaments left, right, and centre, um, and I discovered. No, that doesn't work in real life. And yeah. I ended up in the hospital. I get an absolute kicking. Now, I ended up sticking working the doors for 10 years. Um, but I learned to develop my karate for that. Yeah. So I know that my karate works. I'm not saying that people who are older or people who have got disabilities can't train martial arts. But we do need to keep in mind, as I said, the etymology of the word martial. Yeah. No, it, it is at the root of it all, no matter what we're teaching people, at this very core of what we are doing, it is a fighting art. Yeah, no, that, that, I agree with that. And I think, uh, what, do you know what you need to actually do when, when, when this is all over? You need to come up and visit us, actually, and, and come in and, 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 and see. It's, uh, it just annoys me. I, I, I've, got a, I've, I've got a big uh, children's class and I've got a big adult class. And listen, again, it's, it's not about having maybe discussions about people's attitudes, especially people that aren't here. Uh, but what, what always gets me is, is, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, especially on social media, if you're not battering each other, full contact, then you shouldn't be calling yourself this. And, uh, yeah, that's nonsense. It is nonsense. And this is, what, the only reason why I'm trying to sort of steer the conversation in that direction is just so, because I know that's not what you're, what you're suggesting. And it's not how you came across, by the way, just to be clear, but, uh, I, I was having a discussion with one of my students who will be 52 or 53. And actually, I think I mentioned this on the last episode of the podcast as well. We were having a conversation about this in an open forum in class in front of everybody. And he said, uh, I'm, I'm sort of married. I've got three kids well on their way to be grown up kids. I, uh, I go to my job. I come home. I drink coffee in my garden, et cetera, et cetera. The chances of me physically being attacked in the street or outside a pub or a nightclub are, are virtually zero because he never fre frequents those places. He leads a very uh, gentle, relaxed, safe life. However, he's one of these people, and I won't name him, but my students will know who I'm talking about. He's one of the people who train with me the most often and probably train... He's probably one of my hardest training students. So the stuff that a lot of these guys are saying, well, if you don't do this, you're not studying martial arts. That's probably about 5% of the reason why he does martial arts. And the other 95 is for health and bone density and fitness and flexibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry for interrupting. I mean, that is absolutely right. And that's the way it should be. I mean, in a civilized society, we shouldn't have to worry about people you know, being attacked to that. And the vast majority of people are won't. Now, there's some cliche that flies about that says it's better to be armed and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I would always say it's better to know how to fight and not have to use it than have to use it and find that you don't know how to. Yeah, you're better being a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. In a, that's exact, that's that's the one that I was thinking of, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know... I, I know how to throw a punch. I, I know how to control um, spatial awareness, you know, such, you know, spatial situation. 
Um, I'm, it's very unlikely. No, um, I work from home just now, as I was saying. But even if I was working from the office, I work from office, I come home, pour myself out a tall glass of diet, iron brew, sit back, kick back, and watch Sons of Anarchy on television or Star Trek or something. Yeah. The chances of me getting attacked now are very, very slim compared to when I was working the doors, obviously. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if, heaven forbid, I'm out with no Vaughan um, and something was to happen, I know that I can deal with it. Yeah. Do you know, I, I, one of the things I teach, especially when we're, that, that always annoys me as well. It annoys me when people have, uh, I, I, listen again, let me qualify this. I've taught women's, I've taught women's self-defense classes in the past. And one of the, one of the things that I usually start with, and it, it sort of breaks the ice, uh, but then people get a wee bit confused by it and, and I have to, I have to explain myself, it's like, the, the, I always start by telling them how, how little of a chance they actually have if they're put in certain positions. I mean, I've seen, I've seen self, self-defense, I'm putting that for everybody that's listening, obviously, and uh, so that's the, those uh, speech marks type thing, fresh air. Uh, self-defense instructors, I, honestly, this, this is not a word to lie, who had a female student face down on the floor, he was sort of straddling over her and he was trying to teach her some sort of uh, sort of finger joint manipulation stuff. Oh. Right now, I, that, it's God strike me down if I'm telling a word to lie there. I, I've started female self-defense seminars by saying, if you find yourself in that position, th- th- there's a good chance that A, you're going to get severely uh, uh, assaulted, B, if it's any sort of sexual assault that's happening, there's a good chance it's happening because you're not getting out of that. No. And people look at you and they think, so, so why am I here? Now, this is me finally getting to my point. By training in self-defense classes or martial arts classes, karate, taekwondo, whatever it is, and you said as well, like you're in the middle of a bar brawl and you're hitting somebody just like you would in a karate tournament and then you're thinking to yourself, why, why did this no work? There's a big, big chance that it's, it's no gonna work. But what you're giving yourself is just a slightly better chance of being sharper, more aware, faster, something like that. Absolutely. I mean, it's, the thing that people don't realise is when you get attacked, your adrenaline jumps up. Um, tes- your te- if you're a guy, your testosterone climbs and estrogen drops and vice versa. You start breathing, you'll start shallow breathing, and it's all part of the fight, flight or fl- fight or flight syndrome. You'll start shallow breathing, you'll start experiencing what they call time dilation. Now, if you're not prepared for those situations, then you're not going to be able to do anything. And what really, really hacks me off is when you see these like self defense classes and they're teaching fine motor skills, you cannot teach fine motor skills in a proper, I hate the term self defense as well. I prefer to use the term self protection. Um, I fundamentally believe that you have to train people to and to work on their gross motor skills because it's all you're going to have to rely on. Unless you've been training five days a week for 10, no, for 10 years, it is very, very unlikely that you are going to be able to use fine motor skills such as like um, joint manipulation or yep. you know, um, remember sequences of events or anything. You're going to be clawing at the person. You're going to be trying to stick your finger in their eyes. You're going to be ripping at their throat, biting them. Whatever it takes to, you know, to survive, all gross motor skills. 
and it is one of the things that I really, really, there was a video that we did the rounds on social media about a year or so um, about a, a karate club out in the kind of north, around about, I think it's somewhere in the central, the central belt anyway. Um, and it was a woman and she'd been put, brought in for like someone, a newspaper or something to do these articles. And my first thought was, if somebody tried to do that and you've got a big guy like me that's 140, 150 kilos coming at you, you're going to end up in AE at best or you're going to end up in the morgue. I think that was one of those Daily Mail self-defence. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. yeah, was an absolute nightmare. Um, but but these are the but these are the people through their exposure. These are the people that are lauded as the experts, and they're not. And it's something I mean, that's just turned into my favourite word tonight. It's nonsense, you know. Mark, the, the, the thing is, John, that m m much of it, much of it is nonsense. Uh, right, something that isn't nonsense, uh, yeah. especially when you're in, and it's it's obviously full contact and fighting at the highest level. Uh, when you got this gig, I was insanely jealous. And then... <laughs> oh, shit, we, we bumped into each other at that UFC event, didn't we? I would that die. And you just said that to, to rub that in even more there. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right, so what's it like covering a UFC event? Mate, there is absolutely nothing like it. Um, when you've got a press pass, you get access to the full fight week. Um, I mean, I got to interview um, Joe, Joe Calderwood. Yep. which was a lovely girl. She's from this neck of the woods down here in Ayrshire yep. originally. Um, obviously, she's now over in Canada. Um, I got to interview uh, Ross Pearson, you know, one of the pioneers of British MMA. Yep. And the absolute highlight for me for that day was I got to interview Michael Bisping at the yep. press event up at the fruit market. Um, I got to speak to a lot of the American and the European fighters that were there as well. But getting to interview Michael Bisping has to be a highlight of my career. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know, Michael Bispin is a former UFC middleweight champion of the world. Yeah. You know, that is like, that's ticking a box for me. How, how did you find him? Because uh, again, I, for, for what I've heard, just from, well, obviously you're the only person that I know who's actually interviewed him, that I know, but oh. uh, does he have a, does he have a side for the camera and then a side away for the camera type thing? I, I believe so. As you know as well, I'm a big pro wrestling fan as well. And a lot of what um, goes, you, you see on the screen is what they call KFAB in professional wrestling. Right. And if anybody doesn't know what KFAB is, it's like a background story um, where you're pretending what you're doing and saying is real. The guy, uh, um, Michael Bisping, is a very, 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 um, it's, a, it's a kind of paradox. He's very, he believes in his own abilities, you know, to the really the nth degree yeah. you know he knows he when i interviewed him he was two fights away from winning his world title and he told me that he had two fights and he was going to be world champion and that's exactly what happened oh, okay. um, but paradoxically is also very very humble you know when the, when i switched off my recorder um, from talking to him um and we were just having like a, a, ch a chat i said oh, that was a great fight sequence you were in and the strike back TV program on Sky, and he just started giggling, and he was actually quite shy about it, and told me to piss off. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the type of guy he is. No, it, it was, um, but yeah, not a lovely, lovely guy. I mean, I've only interviewed him once. It was only for about like 10, 15 minutes. But no, lovely, lovely guy. What the 
the again the UFC have they've just started. I think it's in fact as it's this week they've they've pretty much built a they've built the the, the cage and a, a a facility to hold ones on in Abu Dhabi on Fight yeah. Island during yeah. the middle of the pandemic. What's your thoughts on that? My thoughts pretty much. I know realize that companies have got to start making money again. It goes without saying, and there was just news last week that Glory, which is the big kick, comparable kickboxing organisation, UFC, they have went bankrupt. They have went I into the seizure shutdown administration. I'm gutted about that, by the way. We can maybe talk about that in a wee second. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, UFC had to do something. From a, a medical point of view, perhaps living in Scotland, where we've got such a low R rate and um, no transmission isn't really a huge thing here because we're doing everything properly. I wouldn't be happy going into a ring or any sporting environment where I'm grappling with somebody. Um, this illness is transmitted through fluids and body droplets. If I'm if I'm uh, if I'm in the ring with somebody, they've had a test, but it's maybe shown up negative. But then something's happened between the test and them coming into the ring with me in a catch. I'm in two minds from a business point of view. Yeah, the company has to make money. The athletes have to make money, but at the same time. I've got my concerns about the whole health aspect of it. It's they they've gone really heavy in the paint with the we're getting tested, we're getting tested. Dana White, uh, who pretty much runs the UFC, uh, he's on his his Instagram and his social media like every twelve hours. I'm getting another test. I'm getting another test. Uh, what 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 they done was they had they had a number of events in Florida and maybe one somewhere else in America, uh, testing athletes, testing referees, coaches, etc. Over and over and over again, they were held in empty arenas, as as you know. There's something special, by the way, about watching those fights and hearing the contact that you don't hear when the yeah. crowds there going crazy. That is something I did like. Uh, meanwhile, the 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 country. It's just, as in the US, it's just thousand after thousand after thousand of people getting infected with us. We've kind of got it. I mean, the response here, and again, this is maybe something else we can have a quick chat about, but the I, I, I'm, I was particularly impressed by the political response that Nicola Sturgeon and the Scottish government have had to control it here. Uh, but to have sporting events like that in the US, is a wee bit of a slap in the face when there's so many people out yeah, there. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I didn't really want to get too much into the, you know, the whole like regular everyday politics of things when you know, chatting with you. You know where, where my politics lie. Um, but it's been totally mismanaged. And when you're when there's things like this happening, um, when so many people are ill, when so many people are dying, and when so many people, people have, are, have had the illness, have got like follow-up debilitating conditions because of it. Yeah. Um, I believe I think that doing these events in America, um, I think that um, Vince McMahon is equally as guilty for doing this with the WWE. Um, I think that the guys that run AEW wrestling, which is like the next big promotion after WWE in America, I think that they're being really irresponsible as well. Um, as a slap in the face. Now, by Dana White taking it out of the US and into into the United Arab Emirates, is it maybe less of a slap in the face? It's debatable. No, it's still an American, primarily an American organization yeah. uh, in the public's eyes. Um, so, again, I'm not the one that writes the checks at the end of the day. The, what was the best part about uh, being 
other than meeting obviously all the top class fighters, but uh, and the fact that you got to like, uh, laugh at me as I walked in as a paying uh, ticket holder to the event. Funny story about that. Um, I actually bought my ticket originally. And my, it was right. my wife, Yvonne bought her tickets for me, um, Yvonne and my brother-in-law, Graham. Um, and it was only about two weeks beforehand, um, Simon Keegan, um, who's a friend of mine, who's a martial arts instructor um, down in Manchester, um, he phoned me up and says, um, John, we need somebody to cover the Mirror newspaper's online edition coverage of the UFC. Um, are you up for it? So I ended up having two <laughs> tickets. I had, one, I had one from the press pass area and one from my own seat. And what I ended up doing was I kind of went from the press area back to my own seat and then back to the press area again, right. just so I could get a feeling of the actual event itself, not just the fights, because a lot of the, a lot of the reporters that were there from like the Daily Record and the Mirror's printed edition and <clears throat> Sun, um, no, there was... Um, they were just really going off the press pass and they were just like writing down me notes and whatnot. But I think as a martial artist, as opposed to a journalist, I wanted to get the full experience. Yeah. So like I said, I, I was going into the press area and I was sitting and I was type up some notes in the press area. And then I was going back up to sit with my wife and my brother-in-law um, mm. just to get the feeling of what it was like, you know, um, as being part of the crowd. Because let's face it, that was a, I mean, granted we've had two UFCs in, the, in, in Glasgow, yeah. but that first one was something special. Yeah, Jojo won that night, I remember. She won that That's night. Right. She actually lost the second time, and she should have won, in my yeah. humble opinion, she, uh, she should have won that. Uh, that was the night that, uh, oh, this is Robert, Robert, uh, Robert Whiteford um, came in in the, the Flower of Scotland and yeah, replaced absolute bananas. That's what I was going to say. I uh, that 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 was a special uh, that was a special night. I uh, yeah, I, my fingers crossed that uh, we'll have another one. I'm, 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 yeah, there were there, was, there were both events were absolutely brilliant. Both events were were absolutely brilliant. Uh, right, okay, so. I'm looking at my notes again here, and the other thing I definitely got to talk to you about is Star Wars. <laughs> so <laughs> I said this to you when we were chatting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about martial arts and let's talk about uh, let's talk about Star Wars. So yeah, uh, I think I'm into Star Wars. I think a lot of martial artists are into Star Wars because of the because of the the, the martial arts link to it. Do you agree yeah. with that? Absolutely. I mean, if you come back to like the original days, um, watching the original trilogy back in the seventies, like the, you know, the seventies and early eighties, um, it was the closest you were ever getting to seeing Kendo. Was yeah. watching um, the, um, the the um, the the lightsaber fights and whatnot. <laughs> um, and then when you get into the pre, uh, the prequel trilogy, and you've got actual legitimate wushu athletes like Ray Park, no, no, yeah. play, doing the physical portrayal of Darth Maul. Although not the voice, um, no, Ray Park is an absolutely phenomenal wushu athlete, and he owns that role. No, he, he, to he totally did. Um, and from the prequels and in into the sequels, 
it, the, the, the fight scenes have just got so much better. No, it's became very much like the older, no, like 1960s and 1970s Wushu movies. No, like the old Jet Li, no, like the Jet Li films from the late 70s and the early 80s and the Jackie Chan films from that era as well. Um, it, yeah, I think there's definitely, like, excuse my coffin. I definitely think there is a link there. We all want to be either Darth Maul or we all want to be, you no know, Luke Skywalker and Bespin. See what you mentioned earlier on when we were talking about martial arts, about uh, it not that it should be the sort of instructor student. That that bit always, I, I love the fact that there was that instructor student. Uh, on both tied, sides of the story. Aye, tied in for me, aye. Uh, yeah. Tied in for me. How good was the Mandalorian? That must be the best Star Wars since the 70s, by the way. I would say that the Mandalorian is, I mean, my top three in the whole Star Wars saga so far are Empire Strikes Back, number one, A New Hope, which is episode four, is number two, yeah. and Rogue One at number three. Right. If The Mandalorian was a movie, it would definitely be in there with A3. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember messaging you because I say, I always think that I enjoy these things and I'm a wee bit of, I'm a, wee bit of a geek with them. And then <laughs> like, I'm messaging you saying, right, where does this fit in? And who's this guy? And you just yeah. you know, like know it off the top of your off the top of your head. But I, I, I think it's my. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I mean, it's not just Star Wars. I'm a, I'm a sci-fi geek. No, just right across the board. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love all the franchises. I don't like people that detract from them. Um, Star Wars is always. Jump, guys, I'm going to interrupt you here. I know you are listening and you can't see us, but John's sitting with a Marvel T-shirt on at the moment. Uh, Yep, a Captain America and Iron Man T-shirt. So sorry, as you were. As you were. <laughs> it's a Jack. It's a Jack Kirby print one as well. Right. Um, so no, uh, yeah. Sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, but no, I, I've I've always been a huge fan of science fiction. Star Wars is always going to be up there at the top because um, I remember going to see it with mum and dad when I was seven years old um, and just been totally blown away by it. Um, and then when they brought out the little Star Wars action figures, I was like, oh, I've got to have them. And that's kind of carried on now because I now collect Star Wars toys. It's my, my midlife crisis. Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of all sci-fi. Um, I, I love all the Star Trek franchise. Um, I love the entire Doctor Who franchise, um, Battlestar Galactica. I've even on Sky noticed that they started showing Space 1999 from the beginning as well. Uh, it's just, it, it's a nice bit of escapism. The world can be a horrible, horrible place. Um, and having good sci-fi just gives you a, a bit of an escape, you know? Which, listen, which we all need. I've actually went back to, uh, and I didn't, again, you, you forget just, you forget how how many episodes things used to have uh, because they were on weekly on TV. Uh, during the lockdown, I've, I've been, I've, let me, I'll tell you right now, actually, 24, 5th, I'm 64, this is God's honest truth, 64 episodes into the X-Files, and I'm only on season three. That's brilliant. I mean, because, I mean, in, in this modern day, if you're on Netflix and Amazon, you'll find things that get like 12 or 13 episode seasons. Yeah. But back in, I mean, back in the day when it was for, you know, like, ordinary television, you know, when it was like Sky and, I mean, I remember when the X-Files started getting shown over here originally. It was originally in BBC Two. It was a fringe sort of programme, if you like. It's, but it's like 26 episodes a season. It's brilliant, mate. Honest to God. And the, uh, some of it, I mean, special effects and stuff, it's one of those ones that's actually so bad, it's good. Uh, uh -huh. 
it's like I mean, it's like I said. I was, I was watching, started watching Space 1999 again, and Space 1999 was like the British version of Star Trek back in the seventies. Right. Okay. It's god awful, but it's brilliant at the same time. But I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm I'm determined to get all the way through. Uh, I think there's I think there's eight. There was eight series series of the X Files, and then they brought there was another six that they'd just done recently. Uh, and there was two movies in the middle as well. Two movies as well. So that's my uh, that's my thing at the moment is 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 going back back through them. Uh, yeah, but no, I mean genre TV like that, no, like sci-fi TV um, and sci-fi movies. It's it, it's it's just a great escape. And like you said about my T-shirt, no, I've I've always I've collected graphic novels since I was about thirteen, fourteen. Um, it's the two things I collect are. Star Wars action figures and comics and graphic novels, um, which is quite a tame midlife crisis to have. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, it's an escape. And it, going back to what I said earlier on, it does kind of link into the whole martial art no mentality. I said when I was younger, I wanted to be Captain America or Bucky Barnes because I saw them like flying over fences and kicking the head of the Red Skull and things like that. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I want to be able to do that. What? What are, you, what are you looking at now, uh, going back to martial arts, what are you looking at now that's, that you're actually impressed by or, or is, what, what are you looking at now and taking hope from? That was a wee Star Wars. Uh, uh, a wee new hope, a wee new hope from. Yeah. So what, what, what are you looking at now that's, that you're thinking, there's a, there's, this is good or this is, yeah. I'm impressed by this or? Going back to what I was talking about earlier on about the modern technology side of things, um, there's a young chap on, uh, really prominent on, um, on, on social media and on YouTube um, and he's got a lot of detractors because he's, he's very in your face but in a positive way, so positive. Um, I got a young man called Jesse Enkamp. Right. Um, now, I watch Jesse's videos and I come away thinking to myself, God, I feel that I want to be able to know you're doing so many good things. Um, you're putting out so much knowledge. Um, you're saying things that I wanted to say when I was writing for martial arts and when I was teaching and you've got this platform to do it. Round of applause. And the guy is mega talented as well. You know? uh, if you ever get the chance to watch on YouTube, um, he does two tours of Okinawa and a tour of China just to try and get to the roots of karate. And it's great for me seeing a younger person, because the guy's only in his like, 20s. Okay. It's great for me seeing a younger person that's so enthused about you know, like martial arts that they're willing to you know, travel to Okinawa twice. Um, they're willing to go to China just so that they can put out content on YouTube. And I know a lot of people are quite cynical about YouTube and say it's just about clicks so that people get money on that. But the guy is mega um, enthusiastic about what he does. And I think that that's great. Um, and he's got a lot of tie-ins with a lot of other well-known martial artists. And he's bringing these other well-known martial artists that might not have been known to the you know, wider, they may have been like a niche martial art thing, yeah. but he's bringing them into the mainstream as well. I suppose it goes back to what I was saying earlier on about technology, and it does have its benefits if it's used properly. See what you mentioned there? That's something as well that... Why... And again, I'm seeing it through this lockdown thing. Uh, and again, you had a lot of experience trying to... Taekwondo in Scotland, and 
we, we now have uh, Sports Scotland recognition, which is a huge thing for us yeah. through the Scottish Council of Taekwondo. Yeah. Uh, and again, I was a bit wary of whether this would work or not, and it's worked, and, and thankfully it's worked. And as I say, the Sports Scotland recognition's there now, which is a huge thing, a hugely beneficial thing, et cetera, et cetera. But what is it about what we do and what we love and what I, I, I've never seen a martial arts instructor that I've sort of looked at or who doesn't love it. We all love it, yet we all, and again, I'm, I'm lobbing over there here when really I shouldn't, but we just don't seem to get along. We don't seem to work you know, together as strongly as we could to drive this forward. This kind of brings me up to another part of my martial arts career. Um, I get brought in, there was a group called the British Kickboxing Council, which was trying to get recognition for kick, no, semi-contact, um, continuous and um, full contact yep. in the UK. Now, they were lumping everybody in at a UK level, not realising that there were different legalities regarding you know, things in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland as well. Yep. I brought this to their attention and they thought, you know what, he's right. Mm -hmm. um, and through that, I got to start working with the British Kickboxing Council. Um, and then they asked me if I would like to you know, be like the, the front of it, the uh, sort of chairperson sort of thing to be the, you know, the, 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 the focus point of it. Yeah. Now, what I found was at a grassroots level, clubs were willing to work with each other. Yeah. No. Now, but you had these different, in kickboxing, it's not organisations, it's such as more sanctioning bodies, if you like. So you've got the, the World Kickboxing Association, um, the International Sport Karate Association, IAXA, you know, all these different acronyms. And for the majority, they were all coming together, bar one. Now, so they were all willing to work with each other for like tournaments and whatnot. But see, trying to get them all to sit down at the one table. Uh -huh. It was an absolute nightmare. And I, I don't know what it is. And I've heard people say the same things about karate in the past, um, not so much in Scotland, but down in England. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it is, whether people are too wary of giving up their own slice of the pie that they don't see the full picture, or you know, if it's some other cliche. But I, I, I found that it seems to be that the further you get away from grassroots, the more divided people seem to come. Yeah. I mean, I've, went, I've, I've covered a hell of a lot of tournaments in my time, no writing and competing. Um, I've been to traditional tournaments um, where I fought people that I would never thought of before. Um, I went to a traditional karate tournament once where I fought Kenny Walton, who's one of the big guys in the TAGB. Yes, I, yeah. um, now, I've been to a lot, a lot of events over my time and people get on okay. But then once you get past instructor level and you'll start looking at you no know, like sanctioning body heads or association heads or the people that are just under that level or you know, that kind of float in the middle. Yep, yep, yep. It's them that seem to cause the problems. Yeah. Will we ever get round that? Do you think because, <laughs> maybe, again, something that's come up in a couple of conversations I've had is, is that uh, these huge sort of governing bodies are, 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 are breaking up now and maybe they're, they're, they're breaking up now and maybe that problem will go away because that level that you were talking about uh, will be able to work with each other. Does that make sense? It does. It does. To say there. But, yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, to give you an example, I've got friends that are with the UKTA 
that train with TAGB coaches as well, uh-huh. and vice versa. Yeah. You know, a few years ago, that would never have happened. I mean, I remember going to watch, I don't know if you remember, uh, George Dosa, who was a Taekwondo instructor through in Edinburgh. And he, every year, he used to put on what's called the Dosu Festival of Martial Arts in okay. Scotland. Right, uh-huh. Now, there was one year, I think it was about 1987, it wasn't long after the TAGB split away from the UKTA, the TAGB and the UKTA just wouldn't share a stage together. Right, yeah. Um, but now you're getting, and I think it's to do with your Scottish governing body and the British Taekwondo Council, you're getting people to start you know, training with each other now. Uh-huh. Um, I've got friends that are with the UKTA who have been tra- who have went to the selection processes for the Olympic Taekwondo. Yeah. You'd never have heard of that, no, a few, no, a few years ago. Well, um, so was, was one. He was. He's again. That's 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 going the opposite way than what you're talking about there. But that there was a lot of criticism about that, and and I was I always sat on the fence, and I didn't really know what I thought about it. He went from being a karate guy. Well, he, no, Damon. Well, yeah. In a sort of freestyle kickboxing tournament champion uh-huh. to then being on the Olympic team for Taekwondo. If you look at the Olympic team for Taekwondo, it's always been the case. I mean, uh, if you look at like Jade Jones and um, who was the other boy that was supposed to be there, but uh, Aaron Cook. Aaron Cook. Uh, they, get, they, they weren't originally uh, BTCB um, or WTF Taekwondo. They oh, came no. through the T, they came through the TAGB. Um, so it's, it's always been that way. Um, and some could say it's probably a bit more open-minded than a lot of the other karate and taekwondo groups out there. Not my favourite format of sport, but that's besides the point. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, there has to be a kind of um, openness there. I mean, going back to when I was coaching and teaching, we had a group called Glasgow Sport Karate. Now, it was primarily a squad of black belts, um, but we also ran a club as well. Uh-huh. And it was kind of a... Um, you know, it was shot a can heavy. Um, I was pro- my, my, um, I was probably the only tutorial guy in it, um, and there was. But we were open minded. We had guys coming to us. There was a um, I don't know if you all know him, but there was a chap who was part of the um, squad that um, the uh, the um, master park took out to Russia from Scotland back in the day. A guy mm-hmm. called Jengis Demir. Now Jengis used to come training with us. At, no, at I, our sport I don't know his name as I've ever heard. Give me his name again. Genghis Demir. Fantastic. Sorry, carry on, John. <laughs> Turkish guy. Um, but uh, Genghis used to come train with us as well, and he would come up and fight on the open circuit with us. I mean, I remember the first time we took him to one of Dave Baptiste's tournaments in um, in Livingston, and it, I mean, this is going back to you know, when the semi-contact was first you know, becoming a thing up here. Um, and Jengis was like totally blown away with all these Kung Fu, Lao Kung Fu guys and the TAGB guys and the Karate guys all just being there at one time because yeah. his experience before that was just you no know, UKTA and ITF yeah. beforehand. Yeah. yeah, phenomenal martial artist, by the way, absolutely phenomenal. I think uh, my 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 hope would be that, and again, this is something that I've talked with the people who who I sort of friends with within Taekwondo and and probably other, we, we talk a lot about one Taekwondo and the fact that there is I mean I've got friends in the GTF I've got friends in the TGB etc etc ITF my, my school's open to anybody it really uh, really is my school's open to anybody uh, and I do have people that come and train and they've got a different badge on different dobok but we're all just studying 
Taekwondo. I mean, I remember the, we, uh, a few years back, probably about five, six years ago, we had a team called the Dusty Dragons, and it was just basically all guys, middle-aged guys that were involved in martial arts. And we used to just go down to Scott McMillan's. Son, Scott runs like a Sunday sparring session in St. Joseph's Academy. Right. And I mean, I remember like Stevie Pollan, who came from like a Laugar kickboxing background. Huh? He, was, he was going down and training um, with um, Scott. Um, I was popping down. I wasn't doing so much training at that time because it was, during a bit, it was just during the same time I had my stroke. But I was still going down to show my support and then we were having training sessions and there was guys like Jim Reed who was another UKTA black belt yeah. um, there was no again Stevie there was Scott um, it's just I think that you've got to have that openness um, you really really do because if you don't things just stagnate and I've always marched to the beat my own drum for, to my own detriment at times but I've always pushed that people should be able to you know train with whomever they want, whenever they want. If an instructor's got a problem with that, then they're not confident enough in their own abilities. Yeah. If an instructor's confident enough in their own abilities, they should be happy to let their student you know, do a session with X, Y, or Z, because they know that they'll come back to them anyway. And you never know, this, you know, the student might bring something back that the instructor will find a benefit. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, uh, I think we've done, in fact, we have, we're, we're, we're well over another. Uh, that, that, to me, that message that you just said there is probably a brilliant place to end, uh, unless there's anything that, that you sort of want to say to the wide world, the big no, wide world. All I want to say to people is, you know, take care of each other and be safe. Um, you know, I'd also like to say thanks to you, you know, for letting me ramble. I'll sit and talk about martial arts to my... No, no, not at all. My, absolutely my pleasure, mate. Absolutely my pleasure. Um, but no, was, thank you very much for asking. And maybe if I'd stop procrastinating and I do get this vlog coming up, I can, um, no. Uh, get you on there as well and have a wee chat on there face-to-face -face sort of thing. Listen, absolutely. Uh, it's just about, see, one of, the, one of the main, I didn't want to come out this, obviously we've been teaching classes and stuff, but I didn't want to use the downtime uh, or not use it. And the podcast was something that I've wanted to do. And already I've had quite a few people on, uh, and we've done some really good episodes, and I, I, that's the feedback I'm getting. And I do, I hope yeah. people enjoy it. People are going to enjoy this as well. As I say, I just want, to have people on that I like or admire uh, and have a good chat and then we see how it goes and, and hopefully people will listen. So, no, thank you. That. Thank you. Well, thank you very, very much. Thanks very much. And um, hopefully I'll catch you again at another Comic Mart soon. <laughs> well, if we're allowed out soon, which I think yeah, things are starting to, things are starting to uh, open up a wee bit, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, uh, John, uh, take care of yourself, buddy. Stay safe okay. out there. Uh, and I'll, I'll catch you on Facebook, I'd imagine. See you later, everybody. Thanks very much. Bye, bye. Bye, mate. Bye. Bye.